Uh, we were just singing that last song, The Great I Am. I mean, today's sermon is called God's Plan. And uh, there's a verse in the Bible that says, Many are the plans of man, but the counsel of God, that will stand, right? Uh, God's plan is the one that's going to stand. And God puts demands on our life and he makes promises to us. God never gives us a command that he doesn't also have a provision. Anytime you see a command of God, look to see what is the provision, because God always provides the, need, the means to accomplish his command. Did you follow what I just said? Say, I got that if you did. Okay, good. So uh, anytime God tells us to do something, he shows us, gives us how he's going to do it. And that's a neat way to read the Bible, be looking for that. And sometimes we get overbalanced one way or the other. People get uh, 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 counterbalanced. And some people get counterbalanced on the commands. Like, oh, man, you better keep these commands of God. And, and obviously we should keep the direct commands of God that he gave us. Uh, but some people get overbalanced in the provision. They just want to live in the provision. In other words, what I'm trying to say is, we were singing that song, and you know what I was thinking? We're singing about my dad. That's my father. But that is the way I have to think of him as the great I am, even though he's my father. My, my wife and I like to watch uh, British TV shows, you know, through the means of, you can watch a whole series on a weekend if you don't want to go anywhere, that kind of thing. And uh, there's one called, I think it's The Crown or Crown, and it's about Queen Elizabeth. And, and one of the most striking things I saw in that series was when she first became queen, she got married, and her husband, Prince Philip, wanted her to take his name. And uh, all the parliament, all those people know you can't, you have to keep this, this kingly family name. And there was this big disagreement, and she told him, I want you to do this. And he said, as, are you telling me as my wife, you are not going to take my name? And she said, I am telling you as your queen. I went, dog, man, that was, <laughs> woo, that was tough. But that's God, right? Sometimes God asks us to do stuff and we go, Lord, that's a bit much. I, I think you've lost it there, you know? We, we, we question the will of God. But he doesn't ask us as a man. He asks us as our creator God. And he has the power to ask us for this reason. Not because he's cruel, but because he will provide the help to do what he asks us to do, right? He'll always make the means. And, and we're back in Acts, by the way. We're, uh, I'm, I'm abandoning the family. Uh, I'm leaving... Uh, <laughs> I'm leaving the sermon series about the family, and we're coming back to the book of Acts. And, and I'm, I've got to back up a little bit because it's been a few weeks, and you don't remember where we were coming from. But I'm going to start back up in about verse 9 when, when I get to the scripture. But here's what I want you to take home with you today as you're looking at Acts chapter 18, verse 9. God has a plan, and nothing will derail him from that plan. You know, I heard it said, and I believe in the church, all right? I'll go ahead and get this out of the way. The church is what Jesus died for. The Bible doesn't tell us he died for anything else other than the church. And the church is always seen in a local visible assembly, almost in the majority especially, but the vast majority in the Bible, the body is seen that way. Uh, people say, well, I'm a member of the church universal. I don't have to go to the local church. Well, that's cool because I'm a member of the gym universal. See, I can say that, but it doesn't do me any good to be a member of the gym universal. i got to find a local one to go exercise, right? If, if that's how I do it. You know. So to say I'm a member of the church universal would never show up with the family to the family reunion we have every Sunday. 
Something's out of whack there. You with me? So I believe in the church. This is the bride of Christ. The Bible says he's coming back for this bride. The Bible says that when he comes and gets the bride, he will present it to the Father as perfect, as without spot or wrinkle. That's an amazing thing. That means God's working it on us as a church, as a body, to get rid of the wrinkles, to get rid of the spots. And that's what he's doing. And so if Jesus died for the church, don't you think it's worth giving our life to it? That's the passion of my life is God's church. And he has a plan, and we call the church plan A. Now, if plan A fails, God will fall back on plan A. He will guarantee the church will be here till he comes back. You with me? All right, no matter how you parse eschatology, when Jesus comes back for the thousand-year reign, the church will be here. You got to follow that. You got to have hope in that. We see that no matter how you parse the rest of it, there are Christians waiting on his return when he comes back to set up his reign. Can you agree with me there? Because we don't want to get in a fight about eschatology because that would be foolish to do. Jesus is coming back. Amen? And he's coming back in the body he left in. Amen? And we don't know when it is, do we? So we got to live like he's coming today. So God has a plan. And and I want you to, let's stand up. We're going to read these verses down through verse 17. And I just want to catch up. Paul uh, uh, has been uh, in an argument with some, uh, some of the Jewish people. Um, and and the, the Jews come down and they're giving him trouble. And in verse 8, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. So the ruler of the synagogue becomes a Christian. Uh, and, uh, and then it goes on to say, and many of the Corinthians... Hearing Paul believed and were baptized. So when the head of the, of the Jewish organization known as the synagogue in that day becomes a Christian, everybody else is going to follow the leader, right? And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, because Paul's been in some difficulties, do, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And here's where we're going to pick up for today's sermon. But but when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for uh, what you tell us in, you, in your word. And God, we right now just bow in your presence. We, Lord, ask that, that the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth would be acceptable in thy sight. That God, you would open our eyes of understanding to see the truth that you have revealed. Lord, right now we ask you uh, that you would rebuke our enemy for us. That you would rebuke Satan. That you would open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes to your truth. That we'd be able to see it clearly and seeing it, Lord, that we would obey. Lord, we, we give you our promise. We'll obey as you reveal your truth to us. 
or I do, and I hope everybody here does the same, Lord. Thank you, God, for loving us, for bringing us together today. And may your name be honored and blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. I back up to those verses, not only to catch you up, because, but because there's some important things there. Paul has gone through some troubles and persecutions, and, and God makes a promise to Paul in these verses. Paul, he, he makes these four statements. First of all, he said, do not be afraid. Now, you know, you think of Paul as like this mighty warrior that nothing's made him afraid. But when you see, only in Hollywood movies are people unaffected and unafraid by danger. I don't care how highly trained a person is. I don't care how much they've done it before. I don't care how good they are at it. When, when they are in an actual fight, there's going to be some time there where they're going to feel some fear and trepidation because nobody wants to get in a fight that's ever been in one. Right? I, I think I told you I saw an old TV show, uh, To Tell the Truth, and, and uh, one guy was real and the other two were false. And when they were interviewing the false guys at the end... Uh, the, the, the host said, and I understand you were a boxer. He said, yes. He said, uh, how many fights have you had? He said, one. He said, did you, oh, so you lost? He said, no, I won it. He said, well, if you won that fight, why didn't you ever have another one? He said, I figured if it felt that bad to win, I didn't want to know what it felt like to lose. <laughs> so Paul knew what it felt like to win, you know, but he also had, so he'd been suffering a lot. So God wouldn't have said, don't be afraid, unless he was afraid. So every, almost every time God shows up in people, uh, you know, in some visible way with people, what's his first words? Don't be afraid. Fear not. Peace be unto you. Fear not. He, you know, the burning bush, he does it in the boat. By the way, how big of a storm does it take to sink a boat that God rides in? Yeah, that's, that was Jesus' question to the disciples. Why are you afraid? I'm here. This boat isn't going to, to sink. I'm in it. But he calmed the wind the waves anyway. So he says, don't be afraid. So there's a good word for us. Don't be afraid. Now, we can't help but feel the emotion of fear. But, but to push through it is to not allow fear to rule us, to go on through it. He says, don't do that. Then he says, keep talking. Go on speaking. I don't think you really had to tell Paul to do that. But I talk a lot, so I know, man, I, I'll, I'll talk. I don't mind. I'll talk to anybody. This past week, uh, the four pastors, we went to a, a, a morning conference down in Roanoke on Tuesday morning. It was a great time. Uh, it was very encouraging, and, and hopefully we'll be able to implement that somewhat. And coming back, we stopped in the town of Troutville to get something to eat because it was like 8 to noon. and So we stopped. It was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and this lady was serving us, and she was real nice and jovial. And I asked her, did she know a good church around that area to go to? And she said no. Well, let me just tell you, I, I won't tell you that whole story. We, we talked to her for some time. I never had a waitress pull up a chair, sit down and talk to us before. But we spent about 20 minutes. We'd say, Pastor Todd. And Pastor Todd got to talk. And Pastor Bobby got to talk. Uh, Dave Anthony went with us. He got to talk. Uh, Andy was kind of quiet. He's praying for the rest of us. Actually, Andy talked too. We all, we all talked. Poor lady. And uh, but, but pray for her anyway. But... But here's my point. I'd been wrestling inside my head that whole time. Because that was toward the end of the meal when I finally said it. Because it's always scary to start a conversation. It is. It just is. And she was standing there and it was just a narrow little opening, but I took it. And I'm grateful I did. It, it, was, it was a good talk. But, but I'm just telling you, don't be afraid. Keep talking. <laughs> Keep on speaking. And when, when God tells him up there... Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking, and do not be silent. You know, God can't use silence. He can only use your testimony when you share it, and his truth when you share it. 
He can overcome the sin in your life except for the sin of silence. And so he tells Paul, keep speaking, do not be silent. You want a command, there's one, don't be quiet. And number, appropriately, before somebody gets on me. And, and, then, and then the third thing he said is, because I am with you. Notice that? Don't be afraid, give him speak, for I am with you. He promises to be with us to the end of the age, right? That is the one promise in the Bible. That's the most guaranteed promise in the Bible, that God will never leave us. Okay? There are a lot of promises in Scripture, and God may not mean them for us, but he'll let you know that if you ask him for that promise. And he says, no, no, that's not one for you. You know, Paul was used to help a lot of people uh, be healed physically, right? And he had a servant, Epaphroditus, who, I think that was the right name, uh, that was sick and almost died. Paul couldn't do anything about it. Now, that doesn't make sense, does it? God is using Paul to heal people and, except for the guy helping him. So sometimes we say, well, God promised. Well, he didn't promise to heal you of all your diseases until after you're dead. I mean, I'm still a diabetic. It's been 53 years. I've, been, I've asked God many times, hey, could you do something about this? He goes, I am doing something about it. I'm keeping you alive. Now be quiet and get to work, right? That's how God talks to me. I don't know how he talks to you. He just, he's kind of blunt with me because that's how I hear things. Right? So... Can God, does God have the power to heal? Sure he does. Does he want to heal me? Yes, he does. When is he going to heal me? I don't know. Maybe after I'm dead. Well, I know after I'm dead he's going to heal me. But until then, he says, struggle on. Keep going, right? But the promise that cannot be broken in the Bible, Jesus said it in the Great Commission, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In Hebrews, it's recorded that God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And in the language that the Bible is written in in Greek in the New Testament, when you, when you pile up negatives, it makes it stronger. In English, it negates it. Like if I said, I ain't going nowhere, it means I am going somewhere, right? But in the Greek language, if I said, I ain't going nowhere ever, never am I going, I've just said like four big strong words, you ain't going to make move me. And that's how that verse is. There are five negatives. I will never, never leave you, neither will I ever, ever, ever forsake you. And it's the promise that is the one we can always depend on. Even as the martyrs are dying, God is with them. Because he didn't deliver them from death. I love Hebrews 11. I love the last part of it. And others. <laughs> Those that were tortured and beaten and were killed for their faith. He said, of whom this world is not worthy. And God was with them even in that death. But notice, there's a very specific thing God tells Paul there. In verse 10... And no one will attack you with a modifying clause to harm you. Because look at verse 12. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, or the Jews made a united attack on Paul. Now, from verse 11 to verse 12, you got a year and a half. It tells us a year and six months later, this happened. Did you know the passing of time doesn't change God's promises? Don't forget that. That's a, that's a great thing to keep in mind. So God had promised you no one will attack you to harm you. He didn't say no one will attack you. A lot of times we like to pull a phrase out of a promise and claim that's the whole promise. Here's a popular one. The truth will set you free. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says when you are his disciples and you learn his word... And you obey his word, then you will know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. 
That's not for a lost guy doing whatever he wants and the truth's going to set him free. No, he has to become a disciple, learn the words of God, live the words of God. Then he will know what the truth is and then the truth can set you free. Coming to church ain't going to set you free. Hearing me talk about the word ain't going to set you free. You got to know God. You got to know what he commanded. You got to be doing what he commanded. Then you will understand the truth. Then you get set free. It's a process. You got to remember that. So, so the full promise is no one will attack you to harm you. And I don't think God whispered that part like, nobody's going to attack you to harm you. I think he said, Paul, listen, nobody will attack you to harm you. So when you see danger coming, Paul doesn't have to be afraid like, oh, well, they're coming for him. But God said they're not going to hurt me, so who cares? I think I told you about a friend of mine. He, he had to travel around south building things. And they came to a little backwater town that way down south and said in that place they had an aquarium with a rattlesnake in it and a, and a plaque on it said, if you can put your hand on this glass and not move it when the rattlesnake tries to bite your hand, your meal is free. They had never given away a meal. Because when that snake struck, man, they jumped. Paul, you know, we'll see that in the end of the book of Acts. Snake gets on him and he goes, huh, that's interesting. And shakes it off in the fire. He's totally unconcerned. Why? Because he knows God has a plan for his life that knows when he's going to die. And, hey, a snake, that's cool. Oh, I must not be going to die. Didn't feel bad. Just kept going about his business. Freaked everybody else around him. They're like, oh, whoa. Scared them to death. But Paul said, no, it's fine. Whatever. So God has a plan, and God will keep his plan. And so when we come to verse 12, there's an accusation against Paul. And the accusation, just to get to the detail, is this man is preaching contrary to the law. He's asking people to obey God, worship God in a way unrelated to Jewish law. And Paul is attacked, but Paul doesn't forget the promise much. And he's just attacked for persuading people to Christianity. But, check out verse 14. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews. That's interesting. Paul never even got to defend himself. And let me sum up Gallio's statement. I don't care. Get out of here. He goes, this is about your religion. I'm sick of you people. Get out. And he just dismisses them. And obviously, they didn't take that seriously because they kept staying in there. <laughs> they, keep, they keep telling him. But before Paul can even give a defense, Gallio throws the case out of court. Because he saw it as an internal religious argument, and he didn't have time for that. He's like, I don't care. That's you crazy religious people. Get out of my court. This guy doesn't fear God. He doesn't know Paul. He could not care any less about Paul and what they're talking about. Have you ever seen that? I don't know. Another kind of shows I like to watch are, are like live PD. Anybody ever seen that? And they say, get out of the car. Well, yeah, but, 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 but. <laughs> no, you were just told what to do. You better do it, right? Galileo, that's how, what happens to Galileo. He says, get out of here. And they go, oh, no, wait. And get out of here. And look what the Bible says. He has to run them out. He says in verse 16, and he drove them from the tribunal. Because they're still yelling and screaming and wanting their way. He says, get out of here. You're crazy. I don't care about this. And so in, in, at the end of here, it says, so verse 17, so they see Sosthenes, the ruler of synagogue. I thought Crispus was the ruler of synagogue. Well, Crispus got saved, right? It says Crispus, who became a believer from the synagogue. Now, Sosthenes, because remember it's a year and a half later. Now, he is 
the leader of the synagogue. Oh, there's an interesting verse in 1 Corinthians 1, 1, because guess what? This is where they are. They're in Corinth. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, and our brother, Sosthenes. <laughs> now, we don't know was Sosthenes a Christian before they beat him up, or they beat him up, and he goes, if you Jews going to act like that, I'm going with them. <laughs> We're not sure which way that worked. But the point is, these people are just angry. But what happened to Paul? Nothing. Because God kept his promise. But I want you to see something even deeper here. Jesus said the church would be here to the end and he would be with it, right? God made a promise and God kept his promise to Paul. But there's something, unless you are a student of church history, you, you may not know. That God, and the, the divine plan of God, God saves the church, Christianity, in this moment. This is a teeter-totter moment. And you miss it if you don't understand what's going on. The Romans had conquered the known world, right? And they're still reaching out for more land. They go all the way up into England. They couldn't get Scotland. They had to build a wall to keep the, uh, the Scots weren't there yet. It's the Picts. But, but they, they take the lower half of that island and... They're all over Europe and the Germans and all those people. And they've conquered all this. And it's called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And the peace was, we're going to tell you what to do and you're going to do it. So nobody's, but they had rebellion after rebellion try to uprise, right? There's plenty of stories about that. They would not let you keep your religion. They would take you, scatter you, and you could not exercise your religion because they knew, knew the power of religion. So you had to bow the knee to Caesar as Lord and follow the Roman pantheon of gods, right? This pantheism of God. You, you follow me? You with me? I'm, I'm making history as simple as I can because this is the only way I get it. Except for the Jews. They let them stay where they were from. And they let them practice their Judaism. This is why the high priest had to go to Herod to put Jesus to death. Because they could not exercise civil law as a religious body. But as long as it was within their group, they could do kind of what they wanted. And they would have to ask Rome for permission. So that's what they're doing. They want to put Paul to death. The one who had chased Christians put him to death. The guys that told him he could do that now come catch him and want to put him to death. You follow that progression, right? All Gallio had to do was say, tell me more about that. Well, you see, we're Jews, and this is something brand new. Because Rome saw Christianity as something that was a Jewish thing under Judaism. Now, we knew better. Paul knew better. But Paul was willing to say, I'm a Roman citizen, when it was good for him to do that, right? Well, he didn't even get to argue on this. And if Gallio had said... Oh, this is a new thing? Wait a minute. We thought this was a Roman thing. No, we're going to put Paul to death because we're not going to allow a religion to be practiced that is not authorized by Rome. But instead, before Paul can open his mouth to let the cat out of the bag, God moves Gallio to say, I don't care. Get out of my court. And he used a secular judge to keep Christianity at least technically legal now were their persecution sure but they were isolated they weren't they weren't Rome wide yet uh, later on they they become more so but in this moment God used a secular judge because Christianity was still small enough that you could snuff it out still did you know that if they burned every Bible in the world the Bible's quoted in so many books we could put it back together 
That's how much Christianity has invaded the world. And that's no wonder God said, until the end of the world, not one dotting of an eye or crossing of a T will pass out of my law. We know what God's word is. We have it. And this is a pivotal moment because where we're going to next in Acts, a lot of things start changing. Christians start acting more like Christians apart from Jews. Even the Jewish people are changing. Everybody starts to see that, wait a minute, this is more than just a little isolated sect of Judaism down in this region. He told us to go to the world and we're going to the world. And we see things start to change. But that's why this little passage, because I'm thinking, why is that even in there? Nothing really happened. But it's a pivot. And God wants you to see that pivot before everything starts really blowing up for good. And so God saves the church. And my point is that this is a place where Satan wanted to destroy the church. So here's my question. What is your attitude toward bad circumstances for the church, for the Christian? Because that's how we have to apply it today. What has God promised us? He's promised to keep us. He's promised to be with us. And in Revelation, when we see the churches of, of Revelation, and he starts telling them, hey, you need to do these things. And he says, and the one who is faithful will receive, or is victorious, will receive the reward. But the definition there is not that you overcome the, the secular government. The, the, the recognition or the definition of success is that you never let go of your faith. That you stay with Christ even if it costs you your life. Right? That's in the next few chapters. Later on, John sees a multitude in heaven wearing white robes. And the angel says, you know who those are, right? And John goes, I don't know. Who are they? He said, these are the ones who have loved not their life to the death and washed their robes clean in the blood of Jesus. These are the martyrs. These are the ones who've died for the cause of Christ in heaven. And, And so those are the faithful ones. You see, in this... In this passage of scripture, God is using Satan's plan against him. He wants to pull Paul into the court, get a judgment against Paul, destroy Christianity. But instead, God blocks Satan. He lets him set up the circumstances, then blocks him and puts the words in Gallio's mouth, I don't care about your religion, get out of here. And saves the church in that moment. But here's my question, what is God doing in the church today? Now, I'm afraid that all of us, including myself, are very myopic about the church and about Christianity. We see it from a North American persuasion, from a North American context. We understand the church like this. This is why I encourage people to go on mission trips. Because we think this beautiful building is a church. It's just a beautiful building. Burn it down, it doesn't matter. This is not a temple. This is not a tabernacle. This isn't the Holy of Holies. It's a building. And you go to places where they got to meet in secret in one little room in China with one light bulb and 100 people crammed into a room built for 10. And they sit there all night just to hear the word of God explained. And by all night, I mean 12 hours. Then you start to think, what is it I believe in? Or you go to Africa and they meet under a tree or under a tin shed in 110 degree heat. Worshiping and praising God with everything they got. Suddenly your perspective starts to get altered a little bit. Like, oh, maybe what I got is more cultural than biblical. 
I'm not saying we got to deny our culture. It's who we are. It's where we live. But never confuse your culture with the Bible. And you got to decide, is my Christianity cultural or biblical? How, do you, how does the church react to social changes today? So many times when things go bad, we want to protest. We want to stand up and protest. And you know what? Why we think that? Because as Americans, we can do that. We're the first nation in the world that allows protest against politics. Do you understand that? That's only been true for a little more than 200 years now. Because up to the founding, the Constitution, the founding of the United States, if you spoke against the authority, you die. Or at least put, be put in prison for a long, long time. And it wasn't those nice, clean prisons. It was nasty. And so the church has this kind of American attitude as, well, we're going to boycott them. I remember 20, 30, 40 years ago, um, the, 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 the homosexual community, I don't know how they communicate it, but they, had, they picked a week and they all went to Disney World for that week, as many as could. I mean, I say all, but a large group would go. And it was known kind of like today we have gay pride. It was like a gay pride thing at Disney. Well, Disney didn't tell them they couldn't come because Disney didn't, didn't put out a banner as gay pride back in the early days at least. I don't know what to do now. They just showed up and went. And Disney, they're going to turn them away because they paid their money. They paid, the only color Disney sees is green, <laughs> right? And I, that's, that's the truth. They'll alter history if they can make money at it. All those cartoons our kids like, they're all wrong. But anyway, that's just me. I'm a nerd, sorry. Um, and so what did the church do? We're going we're gonna to boycott Disney. Wait, hold on, time out. Number one, they didn't do anything. And number two, they just tell everybody what we're against, not what we're for. And what we're for is God's power to redeem a sinner out of their sin into grace. And let me just tell you, at the risk of insulting some of you, that nobody in here is better than the homosexual practicing his homosexuality. Nobody in here is better than the thief who is stealing. Nobody in here is better than the murderer who is murdering. And nobody in here is better than the rapist who is raping. We are all under judgment of guilt and sin. And the foot at the cross is level. It does not have degrees of forgiveness. Because you were born a sinner. You live in sin. You were, you were conceived in sin. You have born into sin. You have lived in sin. And you need a savior. And that's true of 100% of the people alive today in the world. And when we get the attitude, well, I'm better than them, we have just ruined our testimony. Paul can only try to persuade the government of his innocence. And so he, there's other places where he does get to speak, and he's given an argument. But by and large, he just had to accept what came his way. So he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was put in prison. By those authorities. And while in prison, he writes a letter and says, Obey the rulers. Huh? Paul, the rulers have imprisoned you and beaten you. And you're saying, Yeah, so you can live a peaceable life. You, you, you need to not do that if you can help it. But how do we respond to social challenges? Because let me just tell you, I, Pastor Andy gave me something and I didn't even bring it down with me. But, but we, our kids are in. They're beyond in danger. I can't, I can't say it any other way. If you don't keep up with the news, this may shock you. But if you keep up with the news, you know what I'm talking about. 
There are people that will take their naturally born boy or girl and give them surgery so that they will look like the sex they are not. And they encourage this confusion in their own children. Planned Parenthood has killed thousands of babies, millions of babies. And yet people march for a woman's right to choose. She can choose what to do with her own body. But when you have another body to consider, you do not have the right to kill someone else for your convenience. So how do we respond to these gross needs? By the way, one of our senators was at, uh, the one who sponsored uh, AOC, they call her, I uh, can't get her name out, Alexandria, is it Cortez? Anyway, she was at a town hall meeting and a lady stood up and we, I saw the video, I said, this person's just like pushing this. It has been shown that this woman was serious. She stood up because this uh, Cortez, AOC has sponsored the New Green Deal. It costs billions of dollars. It's impossible. It's crazy. By the way, Jesus is coming back to this planet. It's not going anywhere. We're not going to hurt it. And this woman stands up and she starts yelling about we've only got months to live and we need to act now and we have to eat our babies because they are creating too much CO2 and the world will be destroyed if we don't kill and eat our babies. Now, obviously, she's unhinged. You know the difference between an alcoholic and a drunk? I had my uncle told me this one time. An alcoholic falls out of a chair and lands on carpet. A drunk falls off a bar stool and lands on linoleum. We're all sinners. It's all the same. No matter what your poison is, it's a poison. You following me? You with me? So what is the church's response? Our response ought to be, oh my goodness, these people have been blinded by the God of this world, our enemy Satan, that he can take their soul captive, that Jesus came and bled and died on a cross to redeem. And our response ought to be to love them to Jesus. Period. That's what we're called to do. Now you may have to point it out, because we live in a world in America today where when you tell somebody the truth, they think that's offensive. But facts don't care about your feelings. Right? And the fact is, I was a sinner. I deserved hell. God is not unjust when someone goes to hell. He's unjust when somebody goes to heaven. I won't say unjust. He's just because he paid the price. But it is unfair that I get to go to heaven. Because what I deserved and what I earned was hell. But God was unfair to himself, paid my price so I could go to heaven. And for me to hold on to that and not share it with anybody is the height of arrogance and selfishness. And as a church, that's what we got to do. And he looks at Paul and says, don't be afraid. They're not going to hurt you. What's the worst thing they can do? They could kill you. Yeah. <laughs> Which gives me eternal life in heaven forever. Not the idea of martyrdom, but that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to getting out of here. I'm not, I mean, I'm not signing up to go today. Right? Y'all know about Johnny and Sunday school, right? Teacher asked the little kids, you want to go to heaven when you die? And everybody, yes, except Johnny. He didn't say anything. So he said, who wants to go to heaven when they die? Everybody raised their hand, but Johnny. She said, Johnny, don't you want to go to heaven when you, when you die? He said, oh, when I die, I thought you were getting a bus load up now. <laughs> but there's a saying, everybody wants to go to heaven, nobody wants to die. Friend, when I die, I get to go to heaven. So death has no fear for me. Great, super, kill me. In the meantime, i got to be obedient to the gospel. i got to witness. i got to tell people about Christ. So how can we 
how can we trust God when, in what seems like an attack? Because we are under attack, by the way. No matter what you think politically is happening, the world is coming to an end, and it's only going to get worse. And God gives us breathing room occasionally, and that's all we got at the moment. But it's going to get worse again. How are we discipling and helping each other to stand firm? Because let me tell you, I'm talking about big, grand things. When you go to work tomorrow and you're sitting next to your workmate or across from your workmate or you, you're in your lunch break and you got a friend there, it takes as much of the grace of God to say, hey, where do you go to church? As it does to talk to the worst derelict, the worst sinner, the worst person in the world. It's the same fear. <laughs> stress is stress is stress. Good stress or bad stress, stress is stress. And so how do we help each other to stand firm in these times? How do we say, hey, it's okay, man, we can make it, we can do it. Sometimes I'm sitting there, I was sitting with all the pastors. And let me just tell you, my biggest motivation was, I got to be an example of these guys and say something. You say, that's not a very good motivation, I know, but it got the job done, huh? <laughs> it's like, if I don't say something, Todd's going to say, you know, we should have talked to that waitress. I'm going to go, oh, Lord, you're right. Because God's telling me, say something, say something, say something. So I said, Hey, you know a good church around here we could go to? And she said, no. Oh, didn't expect that response. And we got into a conversation. It, I, I'm just telling you, I'm, I understand, man. It's tough. But our response when we see the evil of the world is to realize the author of it is Satan, Ephesians 6. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness, mighty princes of this present age in the kingdom of darkness. It's not those people. Those people have been taken captive, according to Corinthians, by Satan to do his will. And so, how are we going to respond as a church? Because God's taking care of the church. He's going to make a, get to see us through it. We'll, Calvary may not be here, but the church will be here when Jesus comes back, right? It may not be called Calvary, but it'll still be here. So... What, what's God's divine plan for your life? I know what it is. His divine plan is that you faithfully follow Christ and live your best for him. I like the way Oswald Chambers put it. His wife made it the title of the book, My Utmost for His Highest. I give all I got for the greatest who God is. And so God, that's what God wants. But what is God's specific plan for your life? He's called you to be where you are. He's prepared you to be where you are. You don't have to be a preacher to be a preacher. You don't have to be a missionary to be a missionary. You can do that without having the title. You don't need the title or the acclaim of men to do it. In fact, it probably helps if you don't. I love to go visiting and see people that are visitors and things at our church. And, and, and that might even impress some of them. But you know, it's a lot more effective if you do it because they figure they pay me to be good. Right? Oh, you're supposed to. You're the preacher. Yeah, but so are you. You're supposed to do it too. We won't worry about that. It'll be fine. So are you. So what promises has God given you in his word? He's promised never to leave me and forsake you. That one you can hold on to. Sometimes it seems like you read those promises and you go, Hey, God, I thought you said, Paul did that three times. Lord, take it away, take it away, take it away. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. I will give you more of myself, but I'm not taking that away. Sometimes we think God promised stuff that he didn't promise in the Bible. We make it up. But there's plenty in here that are yours. You ought to read the Bible looking for the promises and write them down. God says they are yours until he says no. Sometimes God has to say no, but they're yours. But if he says no, he gives you more of himself. 
you got a greater sense of his power and presence in your life. And then, how does God fulfill his promise? It may come out of left field. I mean, here's Paul, had a year and a half of peace, and all of a sudden, he's attacked and dragged into court. And I don't know if it ran through his mind or not. Luke makes a point of writing it up there and then saying, and about a year and a half later, Paul gets attacked. And I don't know, let's just say he remembered, Paul might have been saying in his head, hey God, you said I wouldn't be attacked. And God said, I said you wouldn't be attacked to be harmed, but I didn't say you would never be attacked. And Paul's in his mind, because I know what I do on Saturday night, Sunday morning, I've prepared the, for the week, the, the whole week for this moment. But I, on Saturday night, man, if I'm with you, all of a sudden I start dropping out of conversations. And on Sunday morning, I get single-minded and single-focused. It's like, I, I almost can't think of anything else. And sometimes I, I will, and, and forgive me if I ever do it, but I, I may not even see you standing there. I may brush past you because this is where my mind is right now. Okay, and I've and I be, I become super focused on that, but... God has given us his promises. And when we focus on his promises, we can get through the situation. When we get singularly minded that God has promised. And here's Paul, and he's about to give that message. He's like, he's working on that sermon. Man, when I get in front of the judge, that's what I'm going to say. And he's got, I I wish we knew what he was going to say, because I bet it was awesome. And Paul goes, and Gallio says, I don't give a flip. Get out of here. Wow, Paul goes, look what God just did. Blew his mind. Your help may come from left field, you never see it coming. But God's got a plan, he's got a purpose, he's got a promise for you. And he will take care of that if you are faithful. See, if I'm being disobedient to God's word, I don't have the the assurance of his promises. The Bible says God has no obligation to hear the prayer of those who are willfully sinning against him. You don't believe me? It says in Jeremiah, your sins have separated you from me. Peter says that. Peter says that God hears the prayers of the righteous. And if you're not living righteously, you got no guarantee. But as a child of God, and his words abide, I abide in his word, and his words abide in me. I can ask whatever I will, John 15, 7, and it shall be done. But the, the qualification, the provision is... If his words abide in me and I abide in his word, then I can ask whatever I want. So everybody takes the second half and says, ask what you will, it'll be done. Wait a minute. I'm supposed to be letting the word alter my life. And I'm supposed to be living in this and letting this live out in me. And then when I'm walking with God, I know, I have the assurance. Remember Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus? Lord, I know you hear me but because you always hear me. I'm just saying this for them. Why? Because the word abided in him. He was the word. 